Psalm 14.1 reads, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Today I will be discussing the existence, the aseity, and the incomprehensibility of God. This is the Doctrine for Doxology podcast. You can always email me, doctrine4, that's the number 4, doxology at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. And so let's jump right into today's episode. I like to start out with a verse that just kind of gets us thinking about a, a general concept. As we approach these doctrines about God, how should we be thinking about this? And and this, as I was studying these different doctrines uh, over the past week, this verse came to mind. So it's Psalm 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So as we study these doctrines about God, this is this, that's the question, that last verse, what is man that you are mindful of him? Because some of these, some of these deeper concepts about the nature of God, God can seem... Uh, I don't want to say distant, but he he's vast and great and awesome and so big in in our mind as you're trying to contemplate some of these things that it should lead you to to humility and a, a smallness about yourself and this question, what is man that you are mindful of him? David is looking up at the heavens, the stars, and and acknowledging that God is the creator of all of this. And so it led him to uh, to this place of of humility. So the conclusion, the the rhetorical question, "What is man that you are mindful of him?" It's not that that you think about that and conclude, "Well, actually, man is is pretty pretty great." You know, I can see why God thinks we're so special. No, that that the the obvious answer is we are so small and so insignificant um, compared to the the glory of God and even the the vastness of God's creation. What is man that that he would be mindful of us and care for us? Not only that, but we are made in his image, and he has set us over earth. to uh, He's given us dominion over the earth, and that's what the rest of the, the psalm talks about. And then, of course, this psalm is uh, quoted referring to Jesus in Hebrews. So that's the mindset as we approach some of these doctrines about God. It, it should lead us to a place of humility and it's it's a good thing to contemplate these things about God where he is big and great and holy and awesome and majestic. Um, I think sometimes in modern Christianity you're you're going to hear a lot and it's a good thing. I'm not I'm not I don't want to say it's overemphasized because I don't I don't think you really can overemphasize uh any of the qualities of God, but he certainly is our loving father and we but we hear that a lot in modern Christianity, and so few people know these these truths about just the nature of God, that, that these truths that are revealed to us in the Bible. So God is not the man upstairs or grandfather in the sky. He is the eternal creator of all things. He is Lord over all things, all right? So he does not need us, but we need him for everything. We can't know anything without him, and what we do know about God is basically 
baby talk compared to the complete knowledge of God. God has to bring it down to to simplify who he is. He has to to simplify it on a an infinite level if you will, way down so that us human beings can can understand uh partially somewhat of the nature and character of God. However, we cannot appreciate the awesomeness of having a relationship with God unless we also understand God for for who he is in and of himself. Again, the purpose of this entire series is that we would know God. This is doctrine for doxology, biblical doctrine. We, We need to know the truth about God, and that should affect the way we live life, our praise and worship of God. And so we come to God seeking a knowledge of him, certainly a relationship with God, but we want to know God. That is the the mission, the desire of the Christian, not to just have blessings from God. And I think Martin Lloyd-Jones just nails it with this quote, talking about seeking after the knowledge of God. He says, quote, we must always be careful to emphasize that the knowledge of God comes before any particular blessing that we may desire from him. The goal of all our seeking and all our worship and all our endeavor should not be to have a particular experience. It should not be to petition certain blessings. It should be to know God himself, the giver, not the gift, the source and the fount of every blessing, not the blessing itself, end quote. So hopefully the the content in these upcoming lessons about the the nature and character of God will challenge you, make you think, and and I pray that God is is massive in your mind, majestic, awesome, holy, uh, gets you wondering why in the world would a God so great care anything about me? Again, what is man that you are mindful of him? So an outline for the next few weeks. Today is some different things about the existence and the being of God, his His nature, who God is. Then I will get into the attributes of God, some of the names of God, and then the Trinity as well. So that's kind of what's coming up over the next several weeks. The first doctrine would be that God exists, okay? Pretty simple. Uh, what's a verse in the Bible that seeks to prove the existence of God? Can we go to Scripture and and Scripture gives us uh, some evidence that God exists, some some proof that God exists. There's a few different ways to to approach that. The question that I just asked, Martin Lloyd Jones says this: the Bible does not argue about the existence of God; it declares it. The Bible does not give us any proofs of the existence of God; it assumes it. And I completely agree with that. So certainly there are philosophical arguments for the existence of God, and, and there's there's lots of different ways to, to go about trying to prove that God exists. The Bible doesn't do that, though. It starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it assumes that, that, that God exists, and He is the creator of all things, just assumes it. In Romans 1, we've probably heard this verse several times before, Romans 1, 18 through 20, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Greg Bonson, in talking about this verse, I heard him use this illustration of suppressing the truth as a a person in the pool trying to hold a beach ball under the water. They are suppressing it. If, If left alone, it immediately jumps to the surface. They are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. 
Uh, Romans 1, uh, picking up in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And then, of course, the the verse that I started out the episode with, Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you're foolish to, to say that. So God exists. When we talk about biblical doctrines, again, there's not a whole lot going on there as far as trying to prove that God exists. The Bible just assumes it. Tied in with this doctrine of God being ex- God existing would be that God is self-existent. And this is the doctrine of the aseity of God, A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. It comes from the Latin phrase ase, which means out of self or from oneself. So basically, a, a simple way of thinking about this doctrine would be that God is not dependent or God is independent of everything, okay? And all of creation depends on God for everything. So God is independent, and all of creation is totally dependent on God. That is the aseity of God. So a a few verses just to kind of drive this home. God is not dependent on us for anything. Acts 17.25, nor is he served, this is talking about God, of course, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So there's there's the doctrine right there. In a verse, he does not need us for anything, and he gives us our, our life and breath and everything that we have. A few verses down, Paul writes about God. In him, we live and move and have our being. Romans eleven thirty six. for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. R.C. Sproul says this about the aseity of God. God is not dependent. He has the power of being in and of himself. He does not derive it from something else. John Feinberg, another theologian, I have his Systematic Theology book, and in the section on the aseity of God, he says, aseity then is best understood as God's self-existence and independence in will, purposes, and desires. He continues, a second notion also attaches to aseity. It is the idea that God is independent of all things in that his choices and purposes are independent of influences from anyone and anything other than himself. Along this same concept, Cornelius Van Til, a Christian philosopher and theologian, he liked to refer to God, thinking about the aseity of God, he referred to it as self-contained. God is self-contained. He says this, God in God is in no sense co-relative to or dependent upon anything besides his own being. Now, this is a massive idea. God being assay, the aseity of God, God is not dependent on us for knowledge or truth or mercy. So let me be more specific here. God does not, God's mercy does not depend on us. God doesn't have to create us and show us mercy in order for him to then be considered merciful. God does not have to create us to show us love so that he can become loving. God is 
love. God, God is mercy. So he does not need us. The, the qualities that God possesses, God is not dependent on us for any of that. John Frame, uh, talking about this concept as well, he says, not only does God exist without receiving existence from something else, but he gains his knowledge also from himself, and he serves as his own criterion of truth. So God's knowledge is, is not dependent on anything. Think about this with in regards to prophecy, for instance, for for Jesus dying on the cross. God did not have to create humans and the world and the universe and everything, and then just kind of see how things played out and somehow orchestrate it so that Jesus just happened to be there and and die on the cross. No, this was all part of God's decree before he ever created in eternity past. And so a lot more on this topic as we talk as we get later in later episodes on the decree and the will of God and things like that. But God's knowledge does not depend on humans. He God's knowledge is self-contained. And so a verse on this would be Acts 2:23. So It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Genesis 50.20 is a a great example of this concept too. And this is where Joseph has been, he's sold into slavery by his brothers because they're jealous of him. Joseph rises, he interprets some dreams for Pharaoh in Egypt and he rises to power. He's second in command. Then his brothers, because of a famine, come to Egypt seeking food, and they have to stand before Joseph. And so they think that Joseph's going to have them killed. And Joseph says this to them, As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God was not scrambling around up in heaven as as Joseph was sold into slavery. God is not scrambling around trying to figure out a way to to make good of this somehow. No, this this God's knowledge about the event that Joseph's brothers would sell him into slavery, God knew that before they ever did it. So his knowledge is not dependent on us. His mercy does not depend own human decisions. Romans 9, 15 through 16. For he says to Moses, this is the Lord speaking, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So his his mercy does not depend on us. His glory does not depend on us. 1 Timothy 6.16, this is talking about God, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. So God dwells in unapproachable light. When we with in scripture oftentimes glory is associated with bright light and God dwells in so much glory that it's unapproachable. So for us to shine our little flashlight of of glory towards God does not increase his glory, okay? He he already has if you want to think about it on a points system, God already has all the glory points that there are to have. 
God's glory does not change depending on how many people in the world are deciding to worship him and praise him and glorify him. That does not change his glory at all. So what what ha- you know in when the Bible talks about we should glorify God and and bring glory to God. I think what's what's happening in those moments is God obviously does not increase in glory but because of our worship or or anything that we do. God does not his glory does not increase. Rather, his glory is better seen when we properly worship him. We change, but God does not change. As we uh as we know God to a deeper level, the 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 gloriousness of God in that we understand that we can grasp that increases. And and so God is more glorious to us. We we see uh, more and more of his true glory. But God's the amount of glory that God has does not depend on us. That again, that is self-contained. Okay? So that's the 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 doctrine of the aseity of God. Now, what are some common errors that you hear from Christianity today as far as the nature and character of God as it relates to the aseity of God? Um, I, one that I thought of was this, This you hear people talk about, well, God was lonely and he needed someone to share his love with, so he created us so that he could show us his love, right? That that would be completely contradictory to the aseity of God and, and what the Bible teaches is, is God's nature and character. I've talked about God's knowledge. God is not, God didn't create this world and then he's learning as we go and he's trying to somehow uh, put all the pieces together and and figure out a way. You know, if we decide one thing, well, okay, God has to change His plans there, and He's He's kind of navigating all of these different decisions to try to make everything, you know, come out right as far as prophecies and things like that. No, God declares the the end from the beginning, from ancient times. Let me let me read this um, verse that I have up Isaiah forty six ten. This is God talking. He says, basically in the verse before, says, I am God, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Okay? So so God is not learning as he goes along and, and trying to, to make everything good. The last doctrine I want to cover today is the incomprehensibility of God. God is incomprehensible. Now, when we think about that word, incomprehensible, the the root would be comprehend. And so you think about understanding. To comprehend something is to understand. But also, it has this idea of, of a completeness, comprehensive. When people, I'm an eye doctor, when people come in, they're either there for what we call a problem visit, so some specific issue. Maybe they have a, an eyelid infection or something like that. That would be a problem visit. The other reason that people come to the office is for what we call a comprehensive eye exam. They're just there for their checkup. So we look over the whole, you know, both eyes, front to back, everything there is to look at, it's a comprehensive eye exam. It's a complete eye exam. We're looking for any and every problem, okay? And so when God is, when we say God is incomprehensible, it means that we cannot completely understand God, okay? So the Lexham Survey of Theology is a a resource that I have. It kind of uh, bundles a lot of uh, theology 
resources together in one book, okay? And so it says this about in the section on God being incomprehensible. It says, God cannot be fully known or described as he is himself by any created being. So so no created being can properly, um, fully, completely describe or know God. A little bit more information on that from the same resource says, to say that God is incomprehensible is not to say that we can know nothing about God, but rather that because God is infinite, no creature can ever come to comprehend, understand, grasp, or describe God in a manner that is worthy, adequate, or all-encompassing. So when I have a patient come into the office that needs cataract surgery, I'm going to... tell them a little bit about how cataract surgery works. So I get out the little eye model and and show them a few things, just the basics, right? So they may go home and tell their family, now I know how cataract surgery works. And is that a true statement? Well, yeah, it is. They do know how cataract surgery works on on a very basic level, but they don't know comprehensively all there is to know about cataract surgery. And so this would be, in, in the similar sense, this is the way that we know God. We, we know truth about God. We, we can know God, but we will not know God in the, the same way that God knows God, okay? We, we will not know him comprehensively in that way. God is incomprehensible. That's what this doctrine is talking about. So um, a few a few verses that I'll read through here, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. This is a popular verse as well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Psalm 145, 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Along those same lines of, of being unsearchable, Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. All right? In Job, Job 11, uh, excuse me, Job 11, 7 through 9, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. So uh, last one here from Job, Job 26, 14. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? So God is is whispering to us. How small a whisper do, of, do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, the, the fullness of God, who could under who could possibly understand that? Okay, so several verses, and there's obviously plenty more in Scripture about God being incomprehensible. All right, now um, I asked this question in in class on Sunday. I asked this question: Will this doctrine be true for all eternity? Will God be incomprehensible for all eternity? And we got some some mixed answers. So, at, when when I was preparing for the lesson, I would have answered yes. Even in glory, the Christian will never fully 
comprehend God. So I think that one of the joys of eternal life in God's presence will be the constant, ever-increasing knowledge of God without end. And so certainly we will know God in a much, much greater way because the, the, the veil will be lifted from our faces. Our thoughts will not be affected by a sin nature. That will be removed. We will stand before God with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we will we will see God um, in in glory, okay? Now, there's some people in the class were saying, no, we, we will eventually um, know God completely. God, this, this doctrine of God being incomprehensible, um, that, that will end when we get to heaven, so to speak. And some verses that were brought up, which I thought were, were great verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. And then another verse, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Okay? So I thought those were fantastic verses on this concept. And so as I you know, went basically after class, came home and was reading and studying more on, on this idea. I I have not changed my answer. So I do think that the incomprehensibility of God is tied in with God being eternal. He is infinite. He is the creator and we are a creature. And so in that sense, there there is still, even in glory, there will be a great divide between the creator and the creature. And so we will know God and and I think even we could say we fully would know God. The to the 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 most of our capabilities as a creature, we will know God, but we I think we still have to acknowledge that he is our creator and we are the creature. And so there there is still a gap. We do not we will not know God the way that God knows God. Okay? Even in eternity. Now th- that's that's what um, that's how I would answer that as I've contemplated it more. Um, but certainly, you, you've got my email and Instagram, and you can send me some other verses or some other thoughts if you're interested in discussing that further. So it's at least something uh, very interesting to think about. Now, another thing that was brought up in class about the incomprehensibility of God is, you know. This idea, it's, it's prevalent in Hinduism, but I've heard this little parable or story mentioned by several people, even atheists before. Uh, here's how the story goes. There's an elephant, and there's six blind men, and they're trying to figure out what an elephant is like. They've never seen an elephant. And so one blind man grabs the leg of the elephant and says, oh, elephants are like pillars, okay? Another one grabs the trunk and says, no, an elephant is is flexible and snake-like. Another one grabs the ear and describes that. And so the, the parable of the story is that all these different religions would be like the different blind men, and they're, they're grasping at, at things. They don't know exactly where they're at. And so everybody is trying to get to God and there are multiple ways of describing the elephant, and there are multiple ways to get to God. Okay, so that that would be the basics. This again, this story is pretty malleable, so you, it may be told in in different ways. But that's the general concept. A, a couple of different things here. First, when when someone says there are many ways to God, 
that in and of itself is a truth claim. It is just as much a truth claim as the Christian who says there is only one way to God. Okay? Now, there's the the many ways to God person. It may sound better to the world because it is more inclusive and it it makes people who aren't Christians feel better about themselves and and whatever they believe. So it 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 sounds better to the world, but it it's no less a truth claim. They are assuming, when they say that there are many ways to God, it's a truth claim. They are assuming that they are not like the blind men. They they are assuming that they have the ability to stand back with their eyes open and they know the whole picture. And so it it's really is an arrogant claim to say that there are many ways to God. You know, Christianity is not the only way. There are many ways to God. That is an is an arrogant claim. It it claims to know even more than than everybody else. You see what I'm saying there? Now, so that's that's one thing to consider. Also, Jesus very clearly states in John 14:6, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." So that that's an exclusive claim. So therefore, either Christianity is right or it is wrong, but it cannot be lumped in with a bunch of other ways to God. Okay? Because it makes an exclusive claim, you can't put it in there. It's either right or wrong. It 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 can't be grouped together with all these other ways to God. And so that that's that's two different responses to this whole uh elephant illustration story whatever you want to call it. And this concept of can we know God, right? So that's how that came up. And I thought those were uh, both the things that I've just covered here were were great discussion points in class. And and that's what if, if you're not involved in a local church, one be get involved with a local Bible preaching church. Second, get involved with a a small group, a group of believers. This could be at your home. This could be at a friend's home where you discuss the Bible together and you. Uh, think about different things, and you keep going back to the Bible and discussing these issues. And so it, it helps uh, helps sharpen one another in knowing God's Word. And so, um, so I would just encourage you in that. So next week, I will talk about God being infinite, that God is a spirit, and that God is personal. And that that would be not just that God has a good personality, right? No, this is more like like he has a personhood philosophically. Uh, God is personal. He has a mind, will, intellect, self-determination. He's personal. This is in contrast to an impersonal force like gravity or the force in Star Wars. So those are kind of some of the topics that I'll be discussing next week. In a closing verse for our doxology, it's Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. <laughs>